Today is September 20th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Nagano Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot South and the imposed US Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bearspawn Nations of the Stoney, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Metis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. If anyone's confused about that, please don't hesitate to reach out to me and I can do a land acknowledgement teaching for folks who uh, need more explanation on that. Um, I honor the Blackfoot and that as the elders members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis is Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great, Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indahe. Uh, in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps on whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe or you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast. And if you are on social media, it's usually the pin post. So with that, I am going to welcome my guest uh, who's running for school trustee for Ward 10. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thanks Michelle for giving me this opportunity to come into your um, podcast. My name is Yumira Falak. Uh, I'm basically, I'm a community development professional uh, working in Ward 5 and 10. Uh, I am also, I'm a single parent. I have two beautiful girls. They go to public school in Ward 10. Um, I am currently doing my master's in um, uh, interdisciplinary studies with focus on community development, which I am expecting to finish like early next year. Also like I have diploma in human services um, and my, uh, from Columbia College here in Calgary and uh, master's in literature from back home. I am actually, um, uh, I, I'm working in this um, nonprofit agency where we work to empower um, racialized communities and build their capacity. Uh, also, I am the co-chair for Ethnocultural Diverse Working Group for Calgary Domestic Violence. Um, I have been speaking on various issues um, that impact racialized communities for years on different platforms, uh, be it like media, colleges, conferences, etc. cetera. Uh, and currently also I'm working on, um, I'm actually leading research on uh, domestic violence and mental health issues uh, for ethnocultural communities. So yeah, so this year I'm running for um, public school board trustee for Ward 5 and 10. Um, and the reason is that uh, I feel that, uh, you know, um, mm. you know, like throughout the year, we noticed that COVID negatively, it, it impacted, it negatively impacted everyone, right? So, but I noticed that it further marginalized vulnerable communities. And I truly feel that we need public schools are reflective of diverse needs in these two wards because we have an extremely diverse student base in Ward 5 and 10, and we do not have those equitable resources and services available. So uh, so I just want to make sure that um, their voices, parents' voices, and families' voices are heard and included when educational policies are made, which is very important, right? And there are other issues as well that you know we can certainly talk about. 
Oh, hundred percent. I'm sure folks that are listening who know that I'm uh, the co-chair to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Committee, um, you know, who was a part of 12 Community Safety Initiative as their Indigenous liaison, can hear overlap in uh, the work that we did together and as well as why it is that we both felt compelled to run. And I think it's really sad and pathetic from the, you know, white supremacist um, industry and institutions that they still don't hear it so i ran in 2017 so we're talking you know four years of of hearing that obviously i was an advocate long before that as well and here you are an advocate long before that as well and we are saying the exact same talking points that we had that i was working on uh, over four years ago so you know um we were just before we hit record we had uh, a bit of a conversation about Indigenous issues and how it's perceived in nonprofit. And I was wondering if you would uh, do me the favor of elaborating on that again. For sure, yes. Yeah. So, um, so like, like uh, you know, I've been working in human services industry for about seven, eight years now, right? And I've been to schools and I'm still in school, but I, I do feel that uh, we do not have those tools to, uh, you know, respectfully approach Indigenous communities um, and work towards reconciliation, right? So I feel that at least my perspective uh, uh, with that is like extremely limited. So I would always come to you or other Indigenous community leaders to better understand uh, ways we can work together if there is, you know, if there are ways we could work together. So for me, that has always been a challenge. And I feel that, you know, a nonprofit, uh, I think in any industry, not just in nonprofit, but even in schools and educational institutions, and especially for as a talking from an immigrant perspective, I think it, it's important that we can't, when we come here, we need to, we should know about in, Indigenous history and, you know, the, 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 the trauma and all of, all of that, right? And because, and especially when we are working with uh, you know, um, uh, disadvantaged communities or racialized communities. I think this is something that should be in our training as well, and it should be mandatory that how we can, uh, uh, you know, tackle the issues faced by indigenous communities and how we could actually reach out to them the way they want us to, uh, uh, you know, reach out to uh, to them. We cannot do. This is something that I've repeatedly felt that you know we feel that our issues and their issues overlap. I kind of. I kind of disagree here because I know that, you know, uh, we have our own issues as well, but Canada is like natives lands, right? It is, it is an indigenous land. So when you, when you look at it from that perspective, then definitely the trauma that, you know, indigenous communities uh, went through, or, you know, they're, they're still struggling with, we cannot even come close to that. So we should not even try to, uh, you know, tackle it on our own without even consulting indigenous communities and leaders. And I'm, I'm sure like there are ways, but the thing is that we need to, as like immigrants also, we need to take that, um, you know, initiative on our own as well, that we actively reach out to indigenous communities and not just accept the way things are and uh, try to advocate on their behalf when their voice is not even included because I do not personally still you know understand or I struggle to understand how the best ways we could bring their voice to the table and they should be the one doing that and we could totally work with them right so for me yeah that has totally been a struggle and I feel that this is where we are failing because um, I could totally speak for myself that I have struggled with this thing until now and i really want to improve uh, on my knowledge and build on that right and i really want to and that's one of the reasons that i keep coming back to you or i keep i keep on going to other indigenous communities because it's important you know and even like i think it's it's time that we do more than just lip service like even if you know in our meetings yeah i know that every time we do we we start our meetings with land acknowledgement but i really I really want more than this. We really want to understand why do we do that, right? Yeah. As newcomers, as human service uh, workers, community develop, uh, development practitioners, we do that at every meeting, but I doubt that we would actually understand the significance of why we do that. So, you know, also all these things, I think they are very important and they need to be, we, we need to be actively working towards reconciliation by I think reaching out to indigenous communities, asking them how to do it because they are the ones who know best uh, that mm -hmm. how we can, um, you know, um, uh, be allies in this journey. Well, I'm going to tell you and all of the folks that are listening, um, you know, we have next month is our uh, election yeah. for municipalities. So that means this is where you vote for your school trustee as well as your city councillor and mayor. And um, 
one of the things I'm really going to push a lot of the um, school trustees on is that there's a caveat in in their board. They can actually appoint an Indigenous school trustee. And none of the other ones did, obviously, because the point is genocide, stealing of the land and exclusion of Indigenous. But we seem to have a turning point now. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are some incredibly qualified Indigenous educators that should be school trustees. And I, I am going to implore this new board, no matter who is on there, that they appoint an Indigenous tr school trustee, because there are some fabulous people that have been doing this work, doing the advocating, uh, advocating from inside for over, you know, decades, and haven't been at the table. And I couldn't agree more. Zero decisions should be made without Indigenous inclusion. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I really took exception to a, a school trustee conversation I had seen, where I'd seen the chair who represents Ward 10 have the audacity to claim she created this uh, two-person committee to talk about the Langevin issue when she was mm -hmm. already on record excluding yeah. the very people that were trying to do this work. She didn't include Indigenous voices. She didn't include the school trustees that were for the Langevin uh, name change. She yeah. made her own people of, that she was comfortable having a, a conversation with because she doesn't want to address her own embedded white supremacy. And I think that's the major problem we have across the entire um, governance system in general. We don't have Indigenous people at the table. And when they are there, they are marginalized by the um, white supremacist model that overnumbers them. So, um, and we all partake in this white supremacy, myself included, by um, you know trying to engage with white supremacists that are elected by the white supremacist voting uh, base. So for me, having someone like yourself who is so very aware of these gaps between the Indigenous community and the non-Indigenous community at the table who has experienced racism, who has experienced sexism, marginalization as a single mother. This is who I want at the table talking and having somebody, you know, including uh, voices like Indigenous voices that should have been at the table and in, in fact should have an equal voice, not a marginalized voice, which is what we see. So um, one, the first thing you can do is is encourage the, your board to appoint a school trustee that's Indigenous. Definitely. And I, I totally agree with you. I think Langevin name change should have happened a long time ago, right? And it took them forever to do this. And also, we all know that it happened only due to the external pressure, right? So, and it was, the motion was uh, voted uh, down twice before it actually happened. And it also came up that it was delayed because there had to be policy put in place before it could have happened. And sometimes we need to do things fast, keeping in view the sensitivity of issues. We cannot yeah. take forever and in community, while working with communities, I've noticed that sometimes you have to do things, you know, the way, you know, uh, uh, we should be doing because of the sensitivity of the issue around it and also like uh, i don't know i i I, um, I read it and i really want to hear your thoughts on that as well like the the policy that's put in place for the name change i i am kind of a bit um, not too happy with that because i do feel that it's a very eurocentric way of uh, doing things uh, and that's what happens when you have white supremacists making the decision and the policy with the exclusion of the voices that have some sort of anti racism training under their belt and some sort of indigenous education. And, um, and that's why the policy is so poor that they do have now. And now because it's a poor policy, now it has to be completely changed, amended, um, or scrapped altogether and replaced. So um, I couldn't agree more with you. And, because uh, it's, it's, pretty, yeah. it's pretty quantitative, right? Instead of worse, like it should have been more qualitative based on the actual input instead of just taking, that's what I think, signatures, because it would further marginalize you know uh, those communities who are already struggling to be heard and that's exactly <clears throat> what i face with ethnocultural communities as well that if we make things too complicated for them there is no way that they would want to come and talk about issues that impact them and that means that a huge chunk of population would continue to fall through cracks and we need to as public officials or as you know community workers we need to become uh, coming uh, be coming up with ways that could facilitate those conversations not make it difficult for them yeah, right. So, so yeah, I, I totally feel that Calgary Board of Education really did not do a very good job with the name change, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know, and it's really problematic. And um, 
you know, and, and I, I really am um, offended that they're, uh, the, particularly the chair has the audacity to go around pretending like they did something when they had so many barriers. The good news is, is that a lot of folks seen their um, yeah. inaction and their um, racism against folks like myself who were advocating and for their Indigenous students. And then even the, the students that were working with Indigenous people that were advocating for it, it was mm -hmm. for everyone to see. I made it very plainly clear for everybody to see as well in my circles so that people could see, um, you know, it's one thing for a politician to have talking points, but it's another to have uh, any sort of support for, by the community that they are impacting directly. Um, so I appreciate you kind of giving a rundown of how you felt about that policy, because I think it's important that people critically think about them. Uh, today is the federal election day. Yeah. And we are seeing people who are, you know, putting out talking points that are so painful. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the Conservative Party has so many folks that just deny the Holocaust, uh, the um, Indigenous uh, experience with these residential prisons that we were forced to attend and are in denial mm -hmm. of the genocide that we are, are impacted yeah. by and continue to be impacted by. So mm -hmm. my hope is, is that there, there will be some, uh, you know, pushback on people from their, from the talking points that we're mm -hmm. seeing, um, you know, with the amount of money that was available to Albertans that Jason Kenney didn't do any sort of, um, you know, work at capitalizing on so that that way we wouldn't be falling through the cracks. I mean, right now I'm in the middle of a move, a transitional move because mm -hmm. of the impact that we, ha uh, that happened from the pandemic and the lack of plan that they had. And my yeah. hope is, is that people will see through a lot of their so-called talking points and really question the authority and the establishment on some of the things of that they had said. Um, one of the things I'm seeing people pushing on the liberals is the, um, the water issue. And the irony is, is that um, prior to 2015, zero parties were talking about it other than the liberals. And then Jane, Dr. Jane Philpont put together the, you know, um, environmental scan of where the over 633 uh, nations were on clean drinking water, implemented a plan, you know, created a plan, implemented it. We have more uh, boil water advisories ended than when we first made those promises in 2015, mm -hmm. you know, and, and working on progress with the rest. And I've I'm really, really proud to be a part of a party that was like that and, and continues to do that work, regardless if it's popular or not. And when I look at the other parties and I don't see their, their plans for water, I don't see their accosted plans for, or costed plans for water, but they use it as a, as a political talking point. And we are being used as, as fire when they don't mm -hmm. even know our issues. So I'm really grateful that you, like you've been so, honest and, and plain spoken about how, um, you know, society really likes to pretend like you can read, I don't know, CBC Indigenous and think, oh, we're doing great yeah. as a country. But the reality is the food, like the, the pulse on the actual ground is not the same yeah. as a talking point in a media article. And I no, think yeah, that, that's right. And yeah. I would just want to um, draw your attention now that we, you were talking about this uh, to another very important thing, but that's obviously related to uh, our education system, you know, like the bullying and uh, racism that's experienced in school. And I'm sure like, uh, you know, this better than I do uh, in Rocky View schools, the the attendance rates and, you know, the the increased um, uh, like students, uh, indigenous students who are attending schools off reserves, uh, they're not so many of them are not attending it regularly just because of the you know the bullying uh, or the racism they they face at schools and it is i think all across calgary with calgary board of education because while working with other communities this is something that i have repeatedly heard that uh, you know uh, kids are being bullied because uh, uh, because they they look different right and and that does leave uh, them traumatized for life and we all know that right so i really mm -hmm. want to 
see the, well, you know, I know the Calgary Board of Education came up with this task force against the, uh, uh, to tackle racism, but we have not really seen what have happened after the task force was formed, if there were any research done or if there were any recommendations. So I, I do not, I did not see anything from the chair either. So I would really want to follow through that, right? That what exactly happened and where are the recommendations? So we could actually, because this is, Michelle, I feel that this is not something that we can keep on delaying that, you know, we will work on it and now it's going to start. We should have already been working on it because yep. this has, this is not a new issue, right? So, so that racism task force that you're talking about, that report was coming out like just after Christmas and the irony being you've seen how awful that um, board was against our group that was trying to change the lens of a name. So obviously they did not learn anything from the time that report was released internally to them to that moment because they were fighting us as Indigenous families uh, tooth and nail. And then um, when it came to the actual uh, election now, they're actually using that task force as proof of they're not racist when, I mean, all of their actions prove they are completely racist and completely mm -hmm. unable to understand racism in any capacity with their, uh, with their mentality at the moment. So um, the task force is a great idea. Will their voices be heard? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not, just like mine. And so we need folks like yourself who have experienced racism that don't need mm -hmm. more, ex like you need training. We need training. I need training. Need I've training, been working yeah. on anti-Blackness, um, anti-immigrant sentiment, all these all these different types of racism that I don't experience as a straight cis mom. I'm, you know, trying to learn how to be a better ally to the LGBTQ2 plus community. Yeah. So, um, and to go back to your point about bullying, I mean, I remember when I first had my daughter and I was like, okay, well, what are your racism policies look like? Of course they can parade them around, but they can't ever give an example where it was used. And what we found, it was actually the teachers doing the bullying against mm -hmm. um, the kids. And I, when I was running, I had heard uh, black students telling me that they're still being policed in both the public and uh, well, the, the public, uh, the CBE, as well as the Catholic on their hair. And the fact that any teacher in 2021 thinks it's okay to police a child's hair, like I cannot wrap my head around this. And I read that, you know, in the States, they're still struggling with this. Um, somebody, a teacher willfully cut off an indigenous uh, child's hair. It's, they said it was something like checking for lice, which they never did, you know, do a proper investigation of that in, but it's that constant, if you're not white, you're dirty. If you're not white, we're going to police you and your appearance and, and that. And I just, I can't wrap my head around how in 2021, like out of all of the things that we're focused on, that's what some teachers are still getting away with. And um, mm -hmm. it's so completely unacceptable that in the Northeast or Southeast of Calgary, that a single teacher thinks it's okay to tell a black student not to wear a do-rag, not to wear a bandana. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that they have to police their hair to send them home over their hair issues. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know Indigenous kids who have gotten their hair cut by other folks and there was no, there's no ramifications to this. And it, mm -hmm. it's so incredibly problematic because um, like my daughter will never go back to public school. CBE in one year ruined her in one, one year. And, you know, we do a lot of conversations about addiction. And it's painfully obvious some of the trauma that people get in schools are why they have addictions later on in life. So literally, you know, we talk about mental health issues. Like I'm hearing conservatives using uh, mental health as a political weapon now to why students need to be in school. And I just find it so ironic because they've never cared about mental health issues ever before, unless they have an agenda that they want to go through with. And that's what they're trying to use our, uh, our students for. So. You know, yeah, so that, that's right. And uh, like, that's what you said, like, so many families, right, attending Calgary Board, like children attending Calgary Board of Education, and I said, they come from, you know, such diverse families, and you know that they, you know, issues like domestic violence, racism, mental health, it all impacts our kids' education, it all impacts our kids' mental health as well at school, right? So they need those supports. But unfortunately, those supports are not available and now, and we need them now more than ever because after COVID, it has definitely, you know, aggravated. But 
you know, budget cuts there to public education would not help it, right? And it would just make the situation worse. So I, I do feel that, you know, the, the, the board, uh, it has to have that uh, lens of intersectionality while, while making, even the government while making such policies, because, you know, like, you know, that we, there is this very famous quote that that's one of my favorite, that there is no single issue because we do not live single issue lives. And we need to be, you know, aware of that while coming up with policies that whatever policies we are coming up with, they should view things holistically and with that different lens. And one size fit approach does not work with everyone. And we should, as public officials or, you know, as the government officials, we, we should know that better than anyone else. So trying to impose the same things over and over again, I think it's, it's, it's a great injustice. And our kids definitely, you're right, we need that mental health support more than ever. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And also like um, most of our um, children in attending uh, what uh, schools in word five and 10, uh, they are ELA learners, like many of them, they need English language support. And if they are not getting those supports, they are, you know, they're, uh, we are setting them up for failure. Uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, in higher grades and then I, I am a South Asian parent myself and I have friends and uh, I, I work with parents from other communities uh, and the language barrier is huge there right and there is this fear of communicating with uh, you know authorities um, about like their kids progress at school or what they're going through and that you know, that kind of that there's this it's a huge barrier that is harming students in like so many ways because we need to bridge that gap. And it's high time the trustees are more actively involved in engaging communities and be on the ground rather than people. Because now, Michelle, like when I'm campaigning and I go door knocking, people do not even know uh, what trustees do or who trustees are, right? So this this clearly shows you know, huge gap or, you know, wide in the system that's there and that has not been tried. We've not tried to bridge that gap before. So I really want to, like, I don't know what the outcome would be, but through my campaign, I'm also creating this awareness about the, the significant role of trustees. And, you know, we cannot just close our eyes when it comes to how trustees, um, you know, um, handle certain issues or make policies um, at the Calgary Board of Education table, because that's important. So that's one thing there, right? Yes. So, so, yeah. Yeah, you know what, you've touched on so many things in that short period of time. And I'm so yeah. grateful because one of the things that, uh, so mental health cuts, um, the lack of access, the gaps, the mistrust of authority, all of these things. Um, you know, one of the things I would be remiss if I didn't bring up is the amount of cuts that are happening to folks with disabilities who um, mm -hmm. have extra needs, but yet we are not providing them. and. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I, I feel so awful. At, so I'm able-bodied. And yeah. my daughter, as far as we know, has no uh, learning disabilities, learning um, uh, issues in any capacity. But we have an issue still, though, with the racism and such. But the disability component is a, is a major topic that seems to be brushed over by so many folks. Um, the lack of services available of for uh, folks that need just that little extra help. I'm really shocked at how little um, spotlight that gets. When are we setting our kids up for failure? Are we setting up our kids for success? We want to, every child to succeed. Yes. Yeah. So uh, speaking of that, my own daughter, uh, she uh, has um, uh, this developmental coordination disorder at times. So uh, she needs an extra help with um, occupational therapy or physiotherapy because she is like extremely flat foot. So. Um, and I, I, I totally feel that she's not been getting that help that she needs because if I've been asked to go to like, you know, different places to get help or to, uh, you know, for, for therapy, being a single parent, I cannot just spend my day driving her to different places, you know, and, and then um, uh, because it, it like, and also it's, it's emotionally draining as well. So we need more in-house services. We need increased partnership with you know these community partners like EHS and all of that and we need to be actively working towards that because I have experiences personally and I know how like how painful it is for me and uh, you know for just to drive her around uh, taking her to different therapists and uh, you know all of that when she can get those supports in schools but she's not so that's the thing and these budget cuts would of course they've made even this is whatever help she was getting before, I know that moving forward, she, she's not even going to get that, right? So it will, it will definitely impact her negatively. And as a parent, I understand it. 
So, so yes, we need more in-house services. We need, we do not need cuts uh, at all, right? We need more funding towards public school, you know? Yeah, we need investment. And, you know, and it In bothers public education. me. Oh, yeah. Um, it bothers me how many folks are pro-police in their schools when I'm like, you know, the cost it, it is to, you know, overfund our police service when we could be putting in those supports into our schools, moving that person out of that office and putting in, you know, those supports that they, that, that folks need. Um, you know, and absolutely. And I just want to announce that we are discussing this. I just want to tell you this thing. And I'm sure you know that like, you know, when I, uh, this is something that we've, again, I've heard so many times in the communities that when we have our events and if you're inviting, uh, you know, if you're having any panel discussions or things like that, and if you're inviting police officers, most of the community leaders or community members would want us to invite them uh, and let them know that they should not come in uniform because that that's kind of, that would intimidate certain folks, right? And which is, which is, which is fine. And if you're bringing them directly to the, to the school so much, I don't know, like how, like, I, I again, I feel that kids, maybe uh, they could come on and off, but the focus should be more on social workers, focus should be more on counselors, on the supports that kids really need, yep. not on the school uh, program resource officers. And you're right, that, that takes away funding from uh, public education as well, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, we should be setting our children up for success. And um, what I have found with the police in the schools, I did not grow up with police in schools. And I came from the same um, high school that Dina, Dr. Dina Henshaw came from. Um, you know, the, so, and, and I ran for school, um, or I, I ran for, for council twice, uh, once for the city and once for um, provincial. And so like we have um, this experience without police and successful people trying to do good in their community. Whereas uh, right now I'm seeing these children that are feeling policed by their by their uh, teachers, by the system, and also by the police within the school system, while not getting the services, um, and be and basically being imprisoned, like being taught they are second class citizens, and this is not going to set anyone up for success. Certainly not our society. And one of the things you kind of brought up that we never really dove into was civic literacy. It's so disappointing to me. Um, I've door knocked for uh, for years now, and you know when I'm at the door, most folks don't know the difference between the different orders of government: the school trustee yeah. to the municipal to the provincial to the federal. Constantly get them all mixed up, and um, you know, and these are supposed to be educated people that come from our school system, and they are so clearly being failed as adults, let alone our children being set up for, you know, this problem. My last episode was actually on fascism. And, um, oh. you know, I've been talking to my daughter and they're not teaching her anything about World War II. They're not teaching her anything no. about Hitler, fascism, uh, the Holocaust. And I've seen a couple of NDP candidates get kicked out of their um, uh, writings for anti-Semitic um, mm -hmm. uh, components. And it was, it was really basic stuff. And I, I, I couldn't believe it because, you know, I, when I'm having a conversation with someone like yourself and I'm talking about, you know, uh, land displacement, land possession, stealing of, of the land, Palestinian mm -hmm. rights, um, it's not anti-Semitic to talk like that. But the way the NDP's uh, candidates that left um, spoke about it, it was clearly anti-Semitic. And um, like one even questioned if the Holocaust had happened. And I said, I know, I know, I, I, I was like, you know, I grew up with this like phrase of 6 million people, right? Like I, it's embedded in my head. I can't un unknow that. And, and arguably today, like you could say that was actually more um, when you include Poland and, and all the other uh, Russia, like all of the other folks that were, you know, directly impacted by the atrocities of World War II. But, you know, that, that is starting to have a more nuanced conversation. And I mean, today, adults that are running for public office are like, I don't even know if the Holocaust happened. And I, I just can't even believe that's a conversation that people are entertaining in any capacity. So um, anyway, I got a little off topic, but I wanted to more focus on civic literacy and the democratic process and the importance of what you're doing of trying to educate folks at the door of the importance of the school trustee. And I think in this time of like, um, well, Holocaust denial, um, indigenous yeah. uh, residential school experiences yeah. denial, like it's really critical. 
your role. Yeah, and you know, like, <laughs> you, know you, you said it, like you said it totally right. You know, the change actually starts from the bottom, right? So the public yeah. school is where the change should begin. And understand we're teaching kids those things. We cannot expect, you know, uh, anything to, to happen when they grow up, like any change to happen. So I'm now, like, I really want to discuss now that you've brought it up, like I'm de- as a parent, I'm deeply, deeply concerned about this, you know, the proposed curriculum. I'm not a curriculum expert, but whatever I've read, whatever I've, uh, you know, uh, heard that it's it's very biased, it's Eurocentric, it does not include like First Nations, uh, like complete history of First Nation, Métis yeah. or Inuit, uh, which is, I think, necessary for reconciliation. Uh, I think it's not until grade four that you, they're taught about that. And it's, and uh, I've also heard like it does not foster the spirit of diversity and inclusion and uh, of course, and it, it does not teach students anything about tolerance, respect for all religions, and you know diversity. Also, yeah. to my surprise, I was uh, the gender uh, gender diversity is not hardly mentioned anywhere. So you know, like uh, topics like uh, LGBTQ communities need to be you know I feel that they need to be addressed respectfully through you know age appropriate learning tools and should be an essential component of the curriculum because it's necessary to you know uh, build empathy and understanding uh, to prevent homophobia. Or, or instances of bullying and you know yeah. um, and issues like social justice so all of that yeah. so that's not there and you know as a parent I'm, I'm concerned about that as well that you know it's it's not part of the curriculum and it's extremely uh, uh, you know uh, concerning and this is the just the we are talking just about the social studies part and the you know the the but then there are other uh, stuff that's even you know like the the, it's based on like rote memorization and it's yeah. it does not prepare students for critical thinking and understanding no. the concept you know so all of yeah. this so I think we need to you know we need to really advocate strongly against it I know it has been rejected by Calgary Board of Education but we want to make sure that we do not pilot this well yeah, absolutely get, yeah. absolutely I'm so grateful you brought up all of that as well as the gender diversity because you know um healthy sexuality is such a taboo um, conversation in our public education system, which is exactly the problem which leads to the transphobia, homophobia, all of the, um, you know, bullying that's associated with gender, well, even sexism. I mean, the fact that um, teachers still think it's okay to tell women what they can and cannot wear, um, you know, or, or boys for that matter. Like, I mean, I think of this little, is it little Nas X? I apologize for getting that wrong to my uh, younger folks that are listening. Um, it's just that idea that here we have a black queer who is so proud of who he is and, and you know, will wear mm-hmm. makeup, wear dresses. And I know we're not in a time right now that if a little boy went to school in a dress and makeup, that they would be treated well. And I, I that is so, you know, that we can't tell our kids to be who they are if we know there are limitations. And even myself as a mom, as an indigenous mom, you know, um, constantly policing, knowing what society will and will not accept at this moment in time. Um, and, and people forget land acknowledgements are a brand new concept. Like we were not hearing them pre 2015. And even now I still have to push a lot of organizations to do one even though they seem to claim that they're talking about reconciliation and uh, back to the gender diversity, like my daughter, um, she wanted to talk about two spirit issues and the, the teachers were very clear. No, you need to have, uh, we need to give consent forms to all of the other um, students before you can bring this up in class. And that is its own structural homophobia being like, again, the bullying by the teachers to my daughter. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we need to have real conversations about this, that the, the mm-hmm. straight agenda was imposed on these lands by these uh, Christian uh, newcomers that came from Europe, because before it was quite normal to have sexual diversity within the yeah. over 600 nations in Canada, and they had different terms for each of that, and, and we've erased all of that, along with the attempted genocide that is ongoing, they're still really marginalizing our voices on this topic, so like, I'm glad my daughter's home, but I don't think that, um, like, here you are going to be a leader in this institution, and people don't understand the barriers for Indigenous people, the racism that they face with uh, this question. It's even in universities. Tell us the good that came from Indian residential schools. 
and um and, and it's so insulting and offensive and painful re-traumatizing for our kids to be in this current situation this current dis disaster that's uh our public education system so um you know I, i'm really honored that you would come on the show and yeah, and give us your perspective and and tell us some of these ideas and and thoughts that you're having but your experience like as a as a fellow calgarian who has um you know kids in a in the system and you know here we have racialized children having these problems within the system so um i'm really glad you came on i, I want to just give you the floor to let you add anything else that you maybe want to want to add uh, for sure, yeah. I really uh, first of thank you so much for uh, letting me part of this uh, part of your show, and uh, it's a huge honor for me to come and talk to you. Um, uh, but yes, I really want um, people who are going to vote this time to do your research uh, about each candidate that you're voting for about the stance on different issues because we need to remember this is not about one particular community; it's about all children walking through Calgary Board of Education door, and we need to be extremely aware and careful while choosing our representative. Somebody who can be accountable to you, somebody who is accessible to you. So this is something that that's very important. I also want to, uh, by running, I just, uh, you know, in this election, there's one thing that I also wanted to do was to kind of dismantle some of the barriers that women of color face when they put their name forward. And, um, and I've, and, you know, like, I do not come from a uh, political family here or I do not have I do not have any family except my kids so and I do not have a lot of money either right so and I just wanted to do this because I wanted to make sure that the message goes out to every girl and every woman who wants to run that they can do it I know and honestly Michelle it's not been an easy experience like I am facing nope. a lot of things a lot of barriers a lot of indirect bullying uh, uh, yep. you know from uh, uh, other candidates and you know and it's not easy honestly sometimes it makes me super depressed as well as to why I would want to do that but but the thing is that if you do not do that now it's like you did it uh, twice um, if you do not do this now I don't want my daughters uh, to even think that they can't do it right Agreed. so we need to take this step to break some of those barriers that hold us back yeah. and I think uh, I really want you uh, to please encourage women in your lives to come forward and put their name forward um, for uh, these uh, public um, offices. Yeah. yeah, so I hope folks hearing this are thinking about people in their circles and who's racialized uh, or who's transgender or who has experience in this field that, you know, is totally underrepresented. Because one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was that bigger picture that I believe representation matters first and foremost. Um, yes you know, not just trying to get elected, but once being in that position, because um, the, our voices are not being heard as racialized women, and our experiences are not being, um, you know, put out there. I mean, I see Métis men all the time speaking on half, behalf of the Indigenous community, and it's like even their language is misogynistic and uh, exclusionary from, in, you know, two-spirit or women being a part of that conversation. Like, it's only reflective of their uh, perspective, not ours. So for me, I really want to see you not just run. Um, I'm really proud of you running, but that bigger picture of I'm really, uh, I'm hoping that people will hear you and go, this is the person we want to park our vote with, because it's incredibly important to have this perspective at the table and not just another, you know, person who has benefited from white supremacy and is blind to how they benefit from it at the table, again, speaking on these issues and knowing you know, folks like myself support folks like you, like Call to Action 57 mm -hmm. is all public servants having anti-racism and Indigenous education. This is something you understand. You've articulated yeah. it so well. I have never heard some of those other school trustees talking in these ways at all. And that's why I just don't support them because I, I need people at the table in Ward 5 and Ward 10, very racialized children to have racialized teachers, to have yeah. racialized uh, support staff, everybody, because we are like, uh, I met um, some of her teachers that have this real um, white supremacist complex of saviorism. They were coming from the west side of Calgary to come save these children from being in gangs mm -hmm. because they have their racial bias with the assumption we're all gang members. So I, it was really eye opening 
glad my daughter is not in that world because if this is what they're willing to say to me to my face knowing who i was knowing the things and i talk about they were willing to say that to my face what are they saying to the children when they're not being supervised so um anyway i'm really grateful to have you on and you're welcome back anytime um i you know after this experience i'm like i'm hoping that people are going to park your, their vote behind you and you're going to win so i would love to have you back after the election to talk about the entire process and and experience to you when you're ready you know obviously and uh and because i when you win it's like man you gotta it's like overwhelming work you gotta do so when you know if you can park out another hour for me i'd love to hear about your experience afterwards and, and go from there and i can't thank you enough for being on my show no thank you so much Michelle. and you know what regardless of the outcome i think we are here to stay and we will continue to fight for a change a hundred percent so yeah so we will continue to advocate for what we advocate for um, yes. against all odds so so yeah thank awesome. you so much michelle for uh, once again for giving me this opportunity i'm like so truly humbled and honored oh so, in a second um so most people have heard my show will hear this the repeat of my um what i say at the end but for folks like yourself who maybe uh they would never listen to my show apart from you, you being on it um i have this uh, resources that I give now. And I just really encourage you if you hear uh, something that you want to talk about as I talk about these things, don't hesitate to chime in. And I'll just, uh, I'll just finish off here by saying I'm really proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training or cultural first aid in almost every one of them to create a safer space for people of color, those with disabilities, Indigenous and LGBTQ2 to speak. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, the first hundred episodes I had had those cultural action tools and here to help.bc.ca, um, what is indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Like if you Google cultural safety training, cultural first aid, you will find these uh, resources and, and have that as part of your uh, reconciliation and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to repeat them and highlight them here internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism uh, gen, uh, racial equity tools.org what is internalized uh, racism by donna bevins has a good uh, piece on that but if again if you just google internalized mm -hmm. racism you will find resources and uh, racial equity tools.org is just a great place to start um, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention for American Friends Service Committee. Uh, they have really the idea is if you're on the C train and you see a young Indigenous youth being bullied because of the color of their skin, their cultural identity, their hijab that they're wearing, um, this is kind of a how do I intervene in a safe way. If you see or experience racism, report it to actandracism.ca or text at one 857 507 3838. Um, ACT and Racism is actually a coalition of the Asian community putting together some um, resources because during the pandemic, anti uh, Asian racism really came to the forefront as part of this conversation. It was always there, but a lot of the blame by uh, Trump and this idea of the China virus that was literally just racist tropes that need to be absolutely dismissed. Um, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded, no more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to uh, politicians and candidates and their platforms and policies. If they don't recognize the marginalized with their budget with gender equity plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party or that person is directly negatively impacting marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention reports, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational health and justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. 
demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sport clubs, etc. A really great article that you can Google is how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. There's multiple yeah. ones out there now. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talk about today and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Help for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is tool free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also go to their website at hopeforwellness.ca where they have a texting option. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. Again, that is 24-7. And for non-Indigenous, there are usually distress center lines in your area, a functioning 211, or you can try 833-456-4566. There's also an uh, 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta. You can look under hashtag survivor-driven or ssisa.ca. If you're experiencing racism, again, act to end racism, or you can text them. Um, a really great uh, group of people are the project, are, are the Trevor Project. They have all sorts of resources for LGBTQ2 plus youth. They have a youth line, peer line, a trans life, life line. So go to uh, the Trevor Project, uh, lifevoice.ca has crisis support lines there. And kids help phone at 1-800-668-6868. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion. Sure want to tell us theirs, even though they know nothing about being Indigenous. Uh, colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Microaggressions, uh, people dealing with internalized racism, people who become gatekeepers and survive off the status quo, and other people who are so in their trauma, they deplete personal resources. External and internal racism is an everyday reality for racialized people. Uh, I wanna say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example, my aunties, my uncles. Um, I wanna thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family, and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It was through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Although uh, just an FYI, I make fun of people who call themselves native Calgarians. That was part of the reason why I named my podcast okay. that because when people say, oh, I'm a native Calgarian, I always go, oh, what nation are you from? And they go, oh, well, the I meant, and I'm going, I know what you meant, but you know how racist it sounds, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. He's been my childhood friend, the father of our child, uh, support down my journey of the Red Road, and he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism uh, that I've experienced. Through a child, we are blessed to learn from. I want to say thank you. We are honored you chose us. Uh, you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My hope is my daughter and my family will be proud in the future discussing these present day issues. Uh, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, that where you can pledge and support. Uh, thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe and Native Calgarian for the latest podcast and then uh, pin posts and social media for other stuff. Sorry, I just got a phone call, of course, at the time I'm trying to read it. But I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening.